0: Hi, this is Jeff Jones. I am the CEO of Solution Tree and the host of this podcast, Inside the Treehouse. In each one of these installments, I'll have an extended conversation with somebody that I consider is one of the greatest minds in K-12 education and is associated with Solution Tree. First and foremost, you'll get to know more about our experts as individuals, their backgrounds and their experiences that brought them to where they are today. We also discuss subjects in which They have great expertise, topics of importance to educators, and topics that are important to them. So let's get to the Treehouse interview. Today's guest in Inside the Treehouse is uh, my good friend and one of my favorite Canadians, Mr. Tom Shimmer. Welcome, Tom, to the Treehouse.
1: (laughs) It's great to be here. I appreciate being one of your favorite Canadians, Jeff.
0: (laughs) You are. You really are. Let me (laughs) give a little bit of bio uh, on you that we have here at at the Treehouse. Uh, Tom uh, is an author and a speaker with expertise in assessment, grading, leadership, and behavioral support. Uh, He's a former district-level leader, school administrator, and teacher. And today you are a highly sought-after speaker. In fact, Tom and I had a fun conversation before we started recording. He's actually recording from Hawaii, which is quite a bit earlier than it is here in Bloomington, (laughs) Indiana. Um, sought after speaker, and you do a lot of international work for schools and districts. I think, from what I can pull from our list, you've worked not only in North America but Vietnam, China, Thailand, Japan, India, Qatar, Spain, and UAE. Yeah, uh, you earned a degree from Boise State University with the blue football field, yeah. and a master's degree in curriculum instruction from the University of British Columbia. You have five books uh, published from Solution Tree, you have two in production, and four more under contract, which is, uh, that'll keep you busy on the road. Yeah, keeps you busy. Um,
1: so again, welcome. Welcome to the Treehouse. Great to be here, Jeff. Uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation and, and join you on, uh, on the podcast.
0: One of the things that I missed on here is that you're one of the, uh, the founders of Seuss Tree Assessment Center um with nicole and cassie so mm-hmm. that's great so we have fun uh on an annual basis we've skipped a couple in COVID of preparing years things so we always get together at least once a year this way and right, right. and i'm going to be a road warrior this year because of the events are out and about so i'm afraid uh you're going to see me in person more than you have in the past <laughs> good good news or
1: bad news no that's good news that's absolutely good news <laughs> so what I like
0: to, to find out about is give us your background, where you grew up and what your family life was like when you were a kid. We've had okay. people that have been um, uh, Tim Cano basically uh, grew up almost in total poverty, uh, living with different relatives, uh, almost a foster child, if you will. Wow. Um, and then we've had people who have grown up in upper middle class families. So, yeah, what's Tom Shimmer's background?
1: <laughs> well, I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I'm a first generation Canadian, so my parents uh, immigrated to Canada from Germany in the 1950s, in the uh, sort of early to mid 1950s. They were married in December of 1956, and. Uh, I have one sister who is 10 years older than me, so she was born in 1957, I was born in 1967, but uh, we grew up, um, first five years were spent in Vancouver, and then we moved to North Vancouver, which is just across the water, uh, kind of a suburb, uh, across the, Vancouver has a lot of sort of waterways and rivers, et cetera, so lots of bridges, so across the North Vancouver from the time I was five until I graduated from high school, and my family was... um, probably you know smack dab in a kind of middle-class family a working-class family my dad was uh, a foundry worker uh, he was a laborer so when he came over from Germany he worked in in uh, as a lumberjack in the in sort of the forest of Ontario and then came to British Columbia worked in mines uh, and then eventually uh, ended up working as a foundry worker and my mom was a um, a shoe sales clerk at a at the Hudson's Bay Company, which is a department store very much like Macy's, mm-hmm. uh, if you think of Macy's, um, she was a, a shoes uh, sales clerk. And of course, when she grew up in in Germany, uh, when they were trade trained in the trades, she wasn't just selling shoes. She was trained on the foot. She was like they trained them about understanding. So she had a lot of knowledge about that. So she eventually became a supervisor. So I grew up in North Vancouver in a in a you know we weren't poor. We, we weren't of means. A lot of my classmates, you know, North Vancouver is a, a fairly affluent part of Vancouver. And I so I grew up, um, you know, kind of right in the middle of, of, you know, we couldn't afford the finer things in life, but we certainly didn't go, we didn't live without. And you know, I went to school there and grew up and a big part of my life was sports. I played all sorts of sports. I played soccer and baseball and basketball and football and, And that was sort of my my life growing up. And everything I wanted to do was to uh, play sports, earn a scholarship. And that's how I ended up at Boise State is uh, on a football scholarship. And uh, you mentioned the blue field, Jeff, that I was at Boise State uh, uh, on the team for the first game, 1986, September, when the blue field was. So my freshman year, we had the green field, like everyone else. And then in September of 86, we had the Bluefield, and that's where I, you know, got into education as well, working on my teaching degree and, and graduated in 1990 and began my teaching career in 1991. That's excellent.
0: So, first, Vancouver. Let me kind of go back a yeah. little bit to the beginning. 1967, yeah. it's changed a little bit. Since yes. you guys moved back. it's beautiful. I mean, I love yeah. Vancouver. I've been there probably four times. Um, yeah, went there for the Olympics, took our kids there to the Olympics.
1: Right. Um, right.
0: But it's it had to have changed. What your what North Vancouver looks like now has to be completely different than when you were a
1: kid. It's changed a lot. When we moved over across the water, um, there was no bus service over there. So my parents, we we bought a town, our parents bought a townhouse. Um, just to put things in perspective, I remember my parents telling me their their mortgage interest rate. Bought the house bought the townhouse in 1972. The mortgage interest rate was 17%. Oh uh, yeah, at that time. Can you imagine? In today's context, 17%. <laughs> we complain about a couple of upticks and and uh, what they were paying in interest, but there was no bus service over there. There was no transit at all. So my father used to have to drive my sister across the bridge to the to the bus loop so she could go and see her friends because you know we moved when I was five but we moved when she was 15 so a lot of her Uh, friends as a teenager were uh sort of in the east side of the city and and where where I was sort of growing up in my first few years but her all her friends were there uh and and certainly you know it's changed a lot two two major things happened to Vancouver that really significantly changed the context of the city the first was the World's Fair in 1986 Um, Expo 86 came to Vancouver and that's uh, of course with those types of events you get a lot of infrastructure built you get you know a lot of things our downtown stadium our transit system all of that you know our kind of subway was built and uh, and then and then you mentioned the Olympics was the other one that sort of again put Vancouver on the map and in 2010 and uh, and really you know got people to see Whistler Blackholm and and understand sort of the the, just the the whole sort of nature of the city and and its eclectic multicultural diverse kind of population and and the great cuisine on the west coast and and all of that so um, and so from there Vancouver's become a real destination city for a lot of events the 2015 women's World Cup was there and I went to every match that was in Vancouver and uh, including the final USA beat Japan. Hey. Uh so um it, it really is um it's a it's a spectacular city. It's one of the most livable cities in the world and it truly is a beautiful place. But in the winter it rains a lot. Uh our weather is very yeah, much okay. like Seattle, but uh in the summer it's spectacular.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Beautiful yeah. place. Beautiful. Yeah. So Boise, I'm assuming yeah. you got recruited to play football in you know, a scholarship. Yeah. That's how you ended up there. Because you said you you were sports. That's correct. You said you went there to play sports. I, I didn't, you may have said football. Is that right? I did what yeah, that's did right. You play?
1: I was a punter. So uh, being a Canadian, I mean, people always go like, oh, you got a scholarship. I'm like, yeah, I was a punter. Like, oh. (laughs) Uh, but but, you know I grew up as a Canadian athlete so I always tell people you know I I I was sort of poised to play uh, I played quarterback in high school and I was a good football player but not good enough to play at that level in the United States we just didn't have the coaching we didn't have the, the way that you know kids in California and kids in Texas and kids all over the way that high school football was even back in the 1980s um, was not the same as it was in Canada. So I was a good athlete, uh, but but to play quarterback at that level would have been impossible. But I but I also played goalie in soccer. I was a I was a goalie and I learned to kick the ball out of the goal. So I was a really good punter and and so uh, ended up uh, getting my scholarship there. And and I thought, well, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money growing up, of course. So the idea that I got a scholarship and my school was paid for. Uh, they had saved a bit of money for school, but it was mostly for Canadian school where tuition is significantly lower. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at Boise State in, in 1985 and uh, played four years there. And, and uh, it's, uh, I think Boise is uh, really an underrated city in terms of, um, you know, it's really grown, really changed a lot since I was there. But, uh, you know, I obviously have a soft spot uh, for the Broncos. It's my alma mater and, and yeah. uh, cheer for them yeah. any chance yeah. I get. Uh, but yeah, that's how I ended up there was uh, on a football scholarship.
0: You've gone back to a few games lately. I've never had I get a, a picture on Facebook with you. And right, right. There.
1: Last November, I went to a game and it was the first time I had actually, you know, this sounds kind of snooty, but, uh, you know, or whatever, but but it was the first time I'd ever watched a game in the stands. I, I got a ticket and, and went to a game and sat in the bleachers at Bronco Stadium and, and watched them play. I usually the times I'd gone and I hadn't been to a game in years. Usually I'd gone, I'd been on the sidelines because I knew someone on the coaching staff or I knew someone on the sidelines, but it's been, it's been at least, you know, maybe 20 years since I'd been to a game. So that was all sort of, so I just, you know, I'm going to get a ticket and I'm going to sit in the stands. And it was kind of fun to, to see the fans and how, how they get into it. Cause I had never had that perspective before uh, at the stadium and it's changed a lot too. The program is much bigger than when I was there, that the athletes are better everything. Everything about the experience is much improved since the late 1980s. So of course um, you know, I was, I was marveling at that boy. I wish we had that when I was in school, but uh, it was fun (laughs) to see. And I, and I really enjoyed it. It was uh, it was interesting to, uh, to, like I said, to see, to see the game from the fans perspective than to be on the sidelines.
0: You mean like the rest of us average Joe? Is what you're <laughs> but yeah.
1: yeah, but that's the only place I was able, and that that <laughs> that opportunity's gone now. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's why I said it sounds kind of snotty or snooty or whatever, because it's like, oh, I had to, I had to sit in the bleachers. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. First world problems. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Right. If you're an Indiana University fan, I'm afraid more often than not you only see the first half because people don't go back in after the first.
1: Ah, okay, all right.
0: Um, <laughs> Undergraduate degree, you yeah. got a teaching degree from Boise State. I just have to ask: Was Bob Barr the dean of the School of Education when you were there? Do you remember?
1: I Bob? don't think so. I don't remember that? the name. I don't think he was.
0: Bob's yeah. one of our authors. His son Brady Barr is kind of a television celebrity on National Geographic. He's one of those guys that wrestles alligators in the oh, water. And okay, stuff. okay. Bob's yeah. a super guy. He's written some books for us, and he was at Oregon. Then he was the dean of the School of Education. Yeah. You probably maybe, might have I mean, it's,
1: it. it's possible. I, I mean, it was 1985 to 19. I graduated in the fall of 1990, um, <clears throat> December. So, um, maybe he was there. I, I don't remember though. Yeah.
0: Been there about the right time. Yeah. So your love for sports, I understand yeah. that, uh, that you have a group, they call the boy band of besties. At least that's what <laughs> it's been told me. <laughs> and you guys make a trek to sporting events. Do you do that? <laughs> Is that an annual basis?
1: We try to. Um, yeah, I've got a group of friends. There's there's six of us in the group. These are my, uh, yeah, my, my, uh, I don't know if we call ourselves a boy band or <laughs> we are, uh, a, a, you know, a, a group of uh, friends and we've been friends and colleagues. Uh, most of them are people that uh, they're, they're guys I worked with. Uh, as teachers on schools where, you know, 20 years ago we met, I was an administrator on the s- staff and they were teachers on the staff and we've sort of become lifelong friends and our our families are really tight. We travel together and yes, we we tend to um, pick a Seahawks game because we're all diehard Seattle Seahawks fans. And so we pick a Seahawks game. We often go to Seattle for a game or we will trek down usually the West Coast because it's easy to get to and from um you know, Vancouver and uh, we'll go to San Francisco or go to Arizona or something like that. But uh, we, we, um, we tend to, we've been to San Francisco a couple of times, but most of the time we end up in Seattle and uh, and we go for a weekend and we just hang out and go watch the Seahawks and, uh, and sort of have some, some good, uh, some, some bro time, if you will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they all live in the area. They all,
1: they, well, the they, area. they don't because they live where I used to live in the Okanagan Valley, which is about four and a half hours uh, east. I used to 15 years. I lived, away from Vancouver, working in a school district there. And that's where I met all these guys. And then we moved back to the city in 2014, but they still live there. So they live, um, you know, we're a bit distant now in terms of the rest of them, the five of them all live up there in, in the same area. Uh, for those that know British Columbia, would be the Kelowna Penticton, um, yeah. Summerland and yeah. kind of down to that Okanagan Valley area. They probably know Kelowna most, but they live in Summerland and Penticton. And, and, uh, so we get together many times a year. We have a fantasy football league that we're part of. So these are my, you know, these are my really close friends and guys that I spend a lot of time with and and guys that I just, uh, you know, they're just a big part of my life.
0: That's excellent. That's yeah. the best of friends, right? There. Absolutely. Yeah. So post-college, walk me yeah. through your career
1: so nineteen ninety one I started teaching. I was a classroom teacher, and um, I got uh, hired and And you know, the truth is that uh, about my teaching career, I got into teaching because I wanted to coach. i did I did not get into teaching because I loved teaching. i I was at a sort of a pivot point when I was in college thinking about what I wanted to do. Uh, with my career, and I knew I wanted to do something with sports because I just loved sports. I was an athlete. Uh, the whole thing was entire life and I and I hit a fork in the road and the fork in the road was I was either going to go into sports broadcasting or I was going to go into coaching. That was the the pivot. And I said, well, you know, I really like the competition. i I, I, I love the the competitiveness of the pr- preparation and coaching and all that stuff. so I want to get into coaching. So how do I do that? Well, I guess I need to get a teaching degree so I can, you know, get, get, get hired as a teacher and then start, start coaching. And so that's, that's kind of where, then that's the reason I got hired into my first job. I, I got hired, uh, at, you know, cause I was qualified to teach, but it was also because I could coach and, and they were looking for coaches. And so it was after I entered the profession that I learned to love the profession and learn to develop a passion for the work. But I didn't get into teaching because I loved it. I got into mm-hmm. teaching because it was an avenue for me to, to sort of aspire to what I wanted to do. And I loved coaching. But as I was coaching, of course, I was teaching my classes. And I started to really appreciate and learn to love the profession. So I spent seven years as a classroom teacher. Uh, I spent several years coaching. And then um, and then in nineteen the fall of 1998, I got my first administrative posting in uh, that school, and then a year later, I ended up moving to that Okanagan Valley, and and spent so in total, I spent eleven years as a school-based administrator, and then two years working in my central office position, and that took me to 2011. That was 20 years in the school system, and 20 May of 2011 um, uh, was when I resigned from that position and embarked on this career as an author and consultant, et cetera, and speaker. And but but that was that was sort of the arc of the career.
0: So. When you were coaching, what did you want to coach?
1: Football, football and basketball. Yeah, football okay. and basketball. You know, it's it's funny. I got a football scholarship to Boise State, but it, football was probably my least favorite sport growing up. I my favorite sport growing up was baseball. I wanted to be a I wanted to be a baseball player. Um, I w- I was pretty good, uh, and I had some opportunities to uh, go the junior college route. Um, Menlo Park Junior College in California wanted me to come play football and and baseball. Baseball was my sport. I had a couple of you know tryouts, nothing to get too excited about, but enough to get a tryout with scouts. Uh, when I was in the tenth grade, um, I was sort of recruited by a scout. They they thought I would had some potential, and they said, "But we want you to get more coaching, so we want you to go to high school in Oregon. We we have a high school in Oregon we want you to go to for your last few years." But of course, my you know my parents. Couldn't afford to send me and didn't want to send their, you know, 15 year old son down yeah. to United you know, States to go to high school. So it didn't kind of work out, but baseball was my favorite sport growing up. I loved playing basketball and I was pretty good at it, but I'm not big. I'm not, you know, again, keep it in perspective people. This is Canadian sports. So we have to make sure <laughs> we understand that when I say I was really good, like I'm really good, you know, big fish in a small pond. Um, but I, but I, but I was good, but football just kept coming back in front of me. I actually quit football for my senior year because I wanted to focus on training for baseball ended up coming back to to football uh, and ended up getting a scholarship. So it just kept coming back into my life. And, and so I had to embrace it. So um, coaching football and, uh, and coaching basketball um, in football, I became sort of a varsity coach for our uh, team and, and head coach and and did that for um, three, three years, four years, four years uh, before I took on the administration position. So um yeah. So, so loved it. I uh, loved the preparation. It was a lot of work, but I loved doing it. Uh, the scouting, the pre- preparing the kids for the games and all that. And and the exhilaration of the competition for me was, was everything.
0: So you left uh, academia in that regards to do more of what you're doing now. You're speaking, you're writing, right. consulting, uh, yeah. helping teachers of broader reach because you can help more teachers than, than right. these kids. I don't think I've asked anybody this on a, on a, uh, podcast yet but tell people what it's like to be an associate I mean what's your at least everybody's got their own different routine um, yeah. and travel is glamorous the first two times you do it and then yeah. that's, after that it's no longer but tell everybody you know what's it like to be especially international you've gone to some really great places I've been to a few of those but yeah. I think my uh, bucket list just got bigger
1: <laughs> it is uh it is the it is simultaneously the most amazing and grueling uh, career one could ever embark upon um so the glamorous side of it is definitely the travel i'm never going to complain about the travel i'm not one to ever complain about delayed flights or or call people out on i i just don't want to you know to me i've, I've presented in 19 different countries uh, i've been to four countries in africa i've been all over asia uh, and i'm and i'm not going to ever complain about it because I have to keep it in perspective. But yeah, sometimes your flights get delayed and sometimes you haven't slept for many hours. And sometimes you've got to figure out how to write a blog post or a book chapter on a flight when all you want to do is watch a movie. Um, so there are some things about it um, and certainly being away from your family and and uh, you you spend a lot of time away. So, but, but there's also the opportunities that are afforded you as a result of the work. Uh, the work itself is exhilarating. Um, I love the, the opportunity to influence people's thinking. And that's always been my my career goal. The reason I got into administration is because I thought I could impact more students. So I was a teacher and I impacted my students. And I thought, well, I, I think I have the opportunity to impact more students by influencing the teachers. And so I got into administration i made sure that my my degree was in curriculum and instruction and not leadership i wanted to really understand the, the 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 nuts and bolts of teaching and curriculum and all of that and then the same thing with central office it was just an opportunity to influence principals who could influence teachers, who would influence kids and being, you know, in a relatively small district and being one of just a handful of people who really had their hands on, I wasn't the superintendent, but definitely had their hands on the agenda and the, and the direction that our school district was going uh, was, was a great opportunity for influence. So you know, the opportunity to become a consultant and associate an author and for Cassandra Nicole and I to sort of create the assessment center is again to have the kind of influence or reach that impacts a widespread audience and and certainly um, being able to to have that kind of influence on folks and just being that support for them as they grow in their careers. And now, of course, as you get deeper into your career, you know, this is my thirty first year in education now. you start to you start to be one of the uh, the more experienced people in the room. So people do really look to you for some guidance. not that you tell them what to do, but they really do look for your experience and and how you can influence them. And that that of course, is incredibly rewarding. So the travel is glamorous. Uh, But certainly when your flight's delayed at O'Hare because it's snowed in or you happen to be missing your connection in Minneapolis. Um, So there's the uh, there's the presenting four days in Hawaii at an elementary school where it's glamorous in January and swimming in the ocean and all of that. And then there's the flight delays and all of those things. But they all balance out. Uh, It's a grueling. It's an incredibly rewarding career. Um, uh, It's just it's just I couldn't ask. I I couldn't be more uh, thrilled with how everything is kind of played out for me. So I'm very grateful at this point in my career.
0: So did your coaching help you to being a coach of athletes and now being a coach of intellect? Is that, are there parallels?
1: I think there are. There definitely are parallels. The parallel for me is that as a coach, you have to simultaneously be aware of the collective and you have to understand the individuals. So you have to know that, that and it also helped me in, in leadership, even as an administrator, but even in the work I do now, it's understanding the room So when you're working with a group, you start to get a sense of where the group is collectively, but you also pay close attention to individuals. And what I've learned over the years, and I think a lot of this just comes from practice, what I've learned over the years is to really, you always listen to people's questions. But if you really listen to people's questions, they're giving you clues as to where they are both intellectually and emotionally with maybe the changes that you're proposing to them and so the level of question sort of guides me in understanding um, how to answer the question and and how to respond to them i tend to be one that um, i've always used this expression i learned i didn't create this i learned this years ago um, uh, from part of partly from john cotter who who talks about the importance of creating urgency in change but i think in schools which is different than sort of private business is the idea that, you know, you can't just dictate the change. You can't just say this is what we're doing. So I've often, I added on to that for myself to say that it's urgency for ideas, but patience with people. And so what I what I did with myself as an administrator, or um, even in the workshops I do now, or the groups, I gauged the size of the audience. And that would tell me how to respond. So if I'm in a large group, like when I'm doing a keynote or I'm in in front of a large number of people, the message is almost entirely urgent. You know, this is an important change. This is what the research says. This is that, you know, and we just kind of dig into that. The smaller the audience, the more the patience comes in. So if we take it to the other end and say, if I'm working with an individual or a very small group and I can be aware that they're stressed or the change is overwhelming them, then it's all about the empathy. It's all about the patience. It's all about saying, listen, just one step at a time. We're all on this assessment journey. We're all growing. We're all trying to get better. Even I'm still trying to get better. I learn things all the time. You know, So, and then if the group is sort of a mid-range group, there's a little bit of urgency, a little bit of patience. So for me, it's urgency for ideas, which I learned from John Cotter, but then I added in the patience with people because I think it's important to pay attention to the emotional side of change and the way that people can react. That is a brilliant quote. I love that. I'm going to spread you. that around. I'll give the full credit for it, too. Sure, sure. Me. And the royalties, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, John Cotter's got to get some of the royalties, too, so we'll split
0: <laughs> uh, like It's starting to look like an Amway thing to me. I, I, There you go. There you go. That's a, that's a pyramid. <laughs> so your, uh, your name has been turned into a verb uh, in, in our industry uh, when it comes to challenging uh, travel. Uh, we've got to shimmer it. I'm told is is uh, a common phrase that if people I get struggles, then they got to <laughs> shimmer it. They just got to figure out and make it happen. So,
1: well, I, I yeah. So you you clearly have been talking to some some of my colleagues for sure. Um, <laughs> just a couple. I. You know, it's funny this way, because maybe maybe I have the rose-colored glasses when it comes to travel, but I just always expect things to work out, and they kind of do, and 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 it's one of those weird sort of phenomenons where I know a lot of associates and a lot of my colleagues have a lot of these horrific travel stories about luggage here and luggage there and the rental car this, and I went to the wrong place, and the plane was this, and, that, and I just... I I rarely have those stories, and I have nothing to contribute to those sort of conversations when we get together. Because I'm I'm what happens to me is my flight might be 45 minutes delayed, and I'm and I'm a little stressed about missing my connection. And then when I get off the plane and I'm walking to my gate, I hear the announcement that my connecting flight has been delayed by an hour. So I've got plenty of time to get there. And so <laughs> I just now have this mindset that I'll get there. It'll work out. You know, you just sort of, you, and I know it sounds kind of hokey, but, but uh, it is a little bit of that sort of mindset that uh, I don't think I have, you know, I don't think I can change things with my minds, but it, but it's a, it's a mindset that things will work out, you know, I'll get an they upgrade do. or I'll, I'll get it. And they usually do. And and so, Um, You know, so we we joke a little bit about uh, shimmering it, which is just uh, getting it in your mind that uh, you're going to make your flight. Don't be stressed about it. So it's kind of one of those weird things that's kind of evolved because I'm, you know, it's just my mindset around travel is that it'll work out. I'll get there. I'll get through security. It'll be fine. uh, I'll make it. Or if I if I don't, there'll be another flight. I'll get there, and it just kind of works out. And that's just kind of how I how I uh, approach travel and and these situations. And uh, yes, so it's kind of become a thing. amongst amongst our our colleagues and 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 the and and all of us who travel <laughs>
0: everybody serious. wants everybody should have your attitude about it well, i
1: know that yeah it,
0: the more you travel the more it happens i i yeah in 2019 it was kind of grueling. I flew 221 thousand miles on United wow. Airlines alone, yeah. which is yeah. the equivalent of nine times around the world. And no you kidding. just kind of let it roll off your back, and the flight attendant can't do anything about it. The pilots can't; no, they're no. just following orders. So right. they're not in charge. I mean, don't,
1: don't get me wrong. I I have my moments where I'm inside, you know, kind of going, "Are you kidding me?" But you know, I've I, I I have learned over the years to just try to keep things in perspective and and try to because you're right the, the the gate agent the flight attendant it's not their decision um, and that really it's one thing it's a real pet peeve for me when I'm traveling is if I see uh, passengers kind of really giving it to flight attendants or gate agents when I know it wasn't their decision so I actually have stepped in a few times and pushed back at some people not physically but but certainly you know verbally to yeah. say, uh, you know, like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you saying that to that person? It's not their decision to cancel the flight. I don't know why you think you can just come at this person that way. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. one of those things where I think it's important to maintain that perspective though. I, like I said, I'm not, I'm giving you the sports center highlights here. I do have my moments. <laughs> um, but, but generally speaking, I try to approach things with, um, you know, cause I think to myself, I could think negatively. I could think positively, and I'm not saying positive thinking always works. And I, I'm not talking about toxic positivity or anything like that. But I am. But I do believe that when you put yourself in a certain mindset, it 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 can shift. Maybe it doesn't shift things, but it shifts how you interpret them, and it right. and it shifts how you how you process what's happening to you. Right. So I really do believe strongly in that sort of um, in that in that grounded but positive mindset about circumstances and situations. Cause if the flight gets canceled, I don't think I can will the flight to not be canceled with my mind. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that what I'm saying is that when it gets canceled, I can process it and I can just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to handle this right now and I can handle it. And I've sort of learned to train myself. It, it wasn't easy, but I've learned to train myself to, to think that way as kind of a default disposition.
0: Good for you, and yeah. and the phrase we've got a shimmer actually came from the PD department here at. So oh, Okay, okay, it's, okay. It's worked its way, into the it's it's
1: worked its the way in. It's worked its way in. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I'll come over and do a seminar one day on the the the, the art of shimmering. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to read that. Four book. part slideshow. Yeah, here we go. Let's, let's get it done. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, yeah.
0: All right. Well, I know you have a great sense of humor and you love humor and you have been ranted out about Saturday Night Live, The Office and Seinfeld and that you have lots of quotes from those. So oh. I'm not going to I'm not going to have you bring them up, but no. uh, those are the classic shows right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Seinfeld was for me the the I it just you know, it hit at the right time. You know, I was just starting my career. You know, I was in my early 20s and uh, there was just that right amount of um, I think the right amount of cynicism coming out of the 1980s, I think Seinfeld had the right level of cynicism, not over the top, but there was that sort of level of cynicism that really appealed to sort of uh, not necessarily just a younger audience, but there was, you know, coming out of the eighties. And of course, when you, when you start, Moving into adulthood, I think we all go through a little bit of a disillusionment about like, okay, now I'm an adult. Now I'm seeing behind the curtain. It's not as wonderful as I thought it was, and you know, there's hard work, getting a job, and having a career, and and you know, all of those things. So I, I think for me, it just hit me at the right time, and uh, I, I almost had an unhealthy obsession about Seinfeld to the point where. I recognized that I was quoting Seinfeld too much in conversations that people are <laughs> getting sick of it. Uh, and then of course uh, the office, but the office is interesting because I, I didn't, I didn't watch the office when it came out on television. I, one of my good funnies uh, friends, I should say funny. One of my good friends, one of my, one of my bros uh, was, uh, was a huge office fan and he told me to watch it. He said, you have to watch this show. But of course it was deep. Like it was season three or four. I think it was, and so I picked it up and I didn't get it. Like I didn't get the characters and it didn't take for me. And, and then sort of, you know, four years ago, I think it was four years ago or three years ago, my daughter, who who's an adult, she watched The Office and said she loved it. It was one of her favorite shows. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give it another go. So I downloaded it uh, the first season, six episodes on my iPad. And I had a flight from Minneapolis to Vancouver, which is about three and a half hours. And I thought, okay, I'm going to watch six episodes of The Office. And I, by the time I land, I'm either going to love it or I'm going to hate it and that's it and six episodes in when I landed I'm like obsessed with that show I just became like I couldn't believe it the second episode which was sensitivity training was just the just I couldn't believe how um cringy and yet hilarious it was so yeah those are some of my favorite shows for sure that's great <laughs> well speaking
0: of your daughter Sam Samantha is a Samantha yeah. right a Samantha yeah. Sam
1: Sam and yeah she's
0: an actor correct yeah
1: yeah, she's yeah. definitely, uh, acting, uh, she's doing some fashion stuff now, but she's an actor and, and she was, uh, definitely, you know, nothing that people would necessarily it's, it's hard. It's a very hard industry for, for, to break into, but she's done, you know, some commercials. So she's done a NASCAR commercial a few years ago. She did a Nissan commercial. Uh, she's been in several movies, uh, uh, as, as not lead roles, but she was in a Hallmark Christmas movie, um, a year ago, uh, and uh played the younger version of the main character um you know the the hallmark christmas movies all follow the same formula it's the the uh you know the 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 jaded woman from the city goes back to her hometown and meets the young man who has her see the world and in through a new lens and whatever and you know they're all the same formula and she played the younger version of uh of that woman uh, in the main character in that show. So she's done, you know, a a number of things. Uh, She did a show called uh, undercover cheerleader and she was the, the mean girl cheerleader in that show, which is (laughs) so interesting because that is not who she is at all. She's one of the, just one of the most wonderful, I know I'm her dad and I'm biased, but she is just has this disposition that is so um, soft. Like she's just a, not soft as in weak, but she's just has this disposition that is so kind. And so, you know, wonderful. And yet to see her playing this absolute uh, tyrant on, (laughs) on the movie was very odd for, for, for us to see. So, uh, but yeah, she's done some acting. She's doing some fashion now. I think she's thinking about starting her own clothing line. She did, a fashion school for about a year and and uh trained uh in downtown vancouver and and uh got got some real you know sort of the business side of it but also the fashion side of it and now she's sort of also aspiring to to start the clothing line because i think she really just wants to stop being a server as an actor you know jobs are few and far between sometimes and you go through dry spells so i think she wants she wants to look at the fashion side as replacing kind of the steady and therefore you know can kind of balance both worlds so that's she's, great, yeah. uh, she's into that. So it's, uh, it's great to see her doing what she loves. The the bottom line is for Sam. She just loves to be creative and anything she can do to be creative, whether that's acting or sewing or whatever she wants to do, that's what she loves to do. So, and we support her in that. So it's wonderful to see. That's great. Yeah. You, yeah.
0: you have to be talented to be an actor and then you have to be lucky to get the roles. I think I right. told you, my brother-in-law is yeah. an actor. He's at right. the end of his career now. Yeah. Um, but he super long drive spells, and then yeah. he hit a uh he had a TV series when he was younger Then he hit a TV series now that's still going mm-hmm. on you know and yeah.
1: he's he's retiring before the series
0: retires, which is I guess the best yeah. nice way to,
1: to put it I once heard that the uh, the job of an actor is auditioning that's your job like that's the actual job it's auditioning and then if you get the roles you get the roles but your your job the the work is the constant auditioning and it's a grueling again, it's grueling. And, and Sam, you know um, she knows that, you know, you, you never know your big break comes when you're 30 you she'll be 25 this March, your big break comes when you're 40, who knows when it happens. Right. So you just have to find a way to, she's got to find a way to, to make, make ends meet um, in the meantime. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. fashion is the direction she's going now a little bit. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Davis came a lot later than 30s yeah. and 40s. So well, there you go. Early there break, you go early right? He breaks early yeah. and puddled, piddled along. And anyways. Right. So you also have a son, Adrian, who is yeah, Adrian. an uh, aspiring pilot, if I remember correctly. Right?
1: He had thought about uh, He's He's not sure anymore. He, there was a point where he was thinking about uh, getting into the space program. He's in college right now, and he's taking an applied physics program. And, and uh, he's poised to graduate probably not in the spring, but he may need an extra semester. Just, It's a pretty grueling course load, uh, and there's certain labs that aren't offered at certain times, so he may need that extra semester to get that course. But he's still considering it, but he's not... He's a little sort of at a crossroads in deciding what he wants to do, um, but he, he was thinking about getting his pilot's license. There's a, a very famous astronaut in uh, Canada, Chris Hatfield, uh, mm-hmm. and his route to um, the space program was through getting his pilot's license and 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 sort of going in that direction. And Adrian was very inspired by him and and his story. But you know he's still not sure if he wants to go in that direction or not but uh but he's st- you know it's still a possibility for him to to take the next step but i think right now he's just focused on getting his degree and then deciding does he want to go uh to get his pilot's license does he want to go uh get his master's degree does he want to uh he's even toyed with um you know going to the royal military college and and becoming you know getting his pilot's license that way so th- right now he's not sure what what direction he wants to go so he's kind of put his head down and said i'm going to finish my degree and then we'll take stock and take inventory on that but yeah he was uh he, he was uh looking looking at that as a as an option but uh, we'll see where that goes yeah again just you know whatever he wants to do whatever sort of inspires him is uh is what we'll support him in for sure
0: The world is his oyster right now. Absolutely. What a great time. Oh, to be
1: 22 again, right? He turns 22 in April. I know. I know. I know. But but I'd only go back to being 22 if I still could take my 54 year old brain with me. Like, if I knew what I knew now, I mean, you could work some magic back then. You know what I mean? Like, you could (laughs) imagine knowing what you know now.
0: 100. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so true. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I would like my twenty-two-year-old self if I met no, him right now. I don't think I'll so. Leave either. that one behind. Yeah, that's true. Behind? Very true. And what school is he
1: going to? He goes to Simon Fraser University and Vancouver uh, has two yeah. major universities in the city. Um, and one at the Simon Fraser University is uh so University of British Columbia, where I got my master's degree, is a full Uh, it's one of the best schools in Canada. It's a full professional university, uh, law school, hospital, the whole, the whole idea, you know, the, the big programs, uh, and, but that's on the, on the West end of the city, like that would take him an hour in, in traffic or transit, it would take him probably 90 minutes to get there each way. So Simon Fraser university is one of the best undergraduate schools in Canada. It's usually ranked pretty high and, and has a really great program. It's not the full service professional, like for your master's or PhDs, et cetera. And some of those in law schools, doesn't have any of those programs, but as an undergraduate school, it's very highly regarded and it's 20 minutes from where we live. So it's an Uh, easy commute for him. He still lives at home. Um, He has no interest in moving moving out, although he has been talking a little bit about it's time for him to start thinking about, I mean, he's 21 right now, turning 22. So he comes and goes as he needs to, and it's fine. And he's an adult, but, uh, there's no, no reason for him to, you know, take on the added tasks of paying rent and all those things when he can live at home and, and I'm on the road a lot. So it's good, good for, for him to be there for, uh, for his mom, you know, for my wife, she, she has the Adrian there to kind of help you know with things around and around the house and and chip in and and keep his mom company and all of those different things so uh I understand. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I think Monica will be very sad when Adrian moves out of the house. <laughs> yeah, probably when, yes. Uh, we became empty nesters and our last one went to the east coast. Uh we now live in Boston actually. So mm. <laughs> actually my wife lives in Boston. I live at the United Airlines lounge. And Yes,
1: uh, I right exactly out, right.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> that's right yeah yeah Anyways, well
0: that's great well i can't thank you enough for being on uh, a member of the treehouse and i would love for you to give the todd shimmer podcast a plug right now so if you could tell people oh, i love your podcast thank it's you great it's the three parts the third part i'm not usually as engaged with as the first two parts because yeah, it gets much that's more when i, when I bore the you to tears <laughs> with the so fill everybody I, in on your podcast.
1: I appreciate that, Jeff. Um uh, creatively it's called the Tom Shimmer podcast. Um, and and I, you know, I kept thinking about what I wanted to do with the podcast. And at first I thought, of course, it would be an assessment podcast, but then I thought, you know, I want to talk about more than just assessment. I want to talk about education. And I've also thought about down the road of thinking, you know, of adding some non-education guests, but talking about leadership or talking about other aspects and trying to do some different things. So I just thought, rather than trying to do this exhaustive sh- search about names that might be copyrighted or or too similar, I just thought, well, no one's probably got a podcast named after me, so that'll be the easiest <laughs> thing to do. Uh, so I I, I I just left it wide open, and that way it gives me the flexibility and freedom to take it in the direction. But it is clearly an education podcast. But yes, there are three segments to the podcast. Uh, I usually open with some sort of um, you know opinion or expression about some idea i'm thinking about it's kind of a brain dump of here's what's on my mind and here's kind of the things i'm thinking about and you know most recently talked about i think some of the fluff that's out there in education and how we have to be a little bit more um, we have to be more, uh, we have to scrutinize a little bit more as consumers and not just take fluff as, as, uh, as research and, and make sure it's grounded. The main part of the episode is always the interview with someone, um, I've had many of my colleagues from solution tree on, and we'll continue to do that on the podcast and certainly others as well, talking about different issues and trying to get in, uh, the most recent episode was, um, released on January 17th. And that was, uh, with, uh, Monica Burns about ed tech and, uh, and then the last piece is called Assessment Corner, where I spend about 10 minutes or so taking an assessment issue. It's either a question I received in a training or it's just a topic that I think is relevant and trying to give some advice or some some hints on how people can continue to grow their understanding of assessment. So the opening segment changes every week. The interview, of course, changes with new guests, but the assessment piece is always there because I know that is the main reason people know of me and they kind of look to me and and so I talk a lot about things that Cassandra and Nicole and I talk about in our framework, uh, the fundamentals of our assessment tenants and, and different questions that come up so. Uh, comes out once a week. Uh, that part is also grueling, trying to produce an episode per week. Uh, I may at some point go to every other week, just trying to do all those other things, the books and all the other it's writing that I work. have to do. It's a lot of work, uh, but I really love it. And uh, certainly would uh, if people are interested, it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, YouTube channel as well. So the interviews I do, I also record the video. And um, a few weeks after the interview, I'll post a, the video of the interview on YouTube, just in case people want to use that clips in a PD session for for their staff or something like that. So um, yeah, Tom Shimmer podcast uh, would love people to check it out and, and certainly uh, give it a listen.
0: Who did your artwork? Cause I love their artwork.
1: It's a local graphic artist and it was really interesting. Um, her name is uh, Sierra Holmes um, and you can find her on Instagram. So a little plug for Sierra. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting how she did this because I, I told her basically what I wanted, but the color scheme, it was interesting because she, first, the first thing she asked me is tell me about your business. And I, and she said, give me five words that describe what you do. And I gave her the five words and she came back with what in her mind were the colors that were associated with the, the words that I gave her. So she came up with that. Yeah. It was a really interesting process to go through. Um, very creative uh certainly and and then um, i told her what i wanted because i you know i'm an avid listener of podcasts i probably have too many podcasts downloaded that i can even get to some of them are daily some of them are weekly but I, i'm a, i've been a big podcast consumer since about 2009 2010 uh just with traveling and all that i always loved that so i kind of knew what i wanted but but i didn't want to just put my face on the on the cover i wanted it to be something a little bit more interesting and so she she drew you know this, this sort of picture of me and uh you know i mean she made me look pretty good you know i said can you make me a little more v-shaped <laughs> but uh it, it's it, it was great so uh and I, I certainly appreciated the work and and certainly liked uh i i, I like it i i think it's, yeah, it's uh it's great. very creative on her part and i appreciated it and yeah it, it kind of pops i think a little bit so yeah yeah pretty yeah, easy to great. find yeah.
0: And marketing majors could take a a lesson from your marketing expertise because we know what the podcast is because it's called the Todd Shimmer Podcast. <laughs> I get a little marketing people and I was a marketing major undergraduate. Yeah. A lot of it just gets all fluffy into earth. What is it? This is what yeah. it is.
1: So yeah, yeah. And sort of yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's an opportunity to you know, I'd be lying if I if I said it wasn't about sort of branding and trying to you sure. know get my you know, name out there more. I mean, I'd, I'd be honest about that but at the same time i really do love the opportunity to and i and i say this authentically i love having the guests on and i love to feature their work and highlight the, their expertise and and sort of balance that out right i don't want this to be an entire Narcissistic project here, so I love having other people on and learning from them and 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 having them challenge my thinking. And and uh, so I've I, I've been very grateful to have all the guests I've had on so far. I've had some really really interesting people, and like I said, of course, uh, so many from the Solution Tree family as well have been been on the podcast. And yeah, it's just a really fun thing to to do. And it's uh, I hope it's helping. Um, educators you know uh, learn uh, round out their assessment practices and just have something somebody in their ear once a week uh, you know reaffirming what they do challenging them and and helping them just become better for students
0: well you are a real pro tom you're a real pro and uh, again i appreciate you being on here i thank you for the quote for the urgency of ideas with uh, patience with people i'm going to be using that If you'd like to learn more about Tom and his work, you can go to the website, allthingsassessment.info, which we've created here at Solution Tree. Uh, That is an all-information, no-commerce website. You can't buy anything on that. You can just get stuff. Tom has a lot of his work there. You can follow him on Twitter at at Tom Shimmer. Um, Instagram, I'm assuming you're on Instagram as well. I, I don't follow you there. And probably Facebook. I know Facebook.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. So you can follow me almost. i probably have too many social media accounts, but Twitter it's at Tom Shimmer, but also at Tom Shimmer pod. That's the Twitter handle for the podcast. If you want to okay. follow it there, Instagram at Tom Shimmer podcast, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Shimmer education, um, I'm even on TikTok now. The podcast oh is for the podcast. So I post some video clips there and uh, nothing, I'm, I'm not doing anything too crazy on TikTok. Maybe <laughs> not yet. Maybe I will get Dance the courage it. one time, but it's really just posting some clips of the interviews and just sharing some quotes and things like that. So uh, you can find me, you know, if you, if you, if you Google me, you'll probably find all of those social media handles.
0: <laughs> I hope that everybody listening does that because yeah, you're fun you. to follow your podcast and your information. And like I said, you're a real pro and-
1: and Thank you, thanks for
0: thanks for being a tree dweller today. And being oh,
1: yeah, I love, it, love it. Really, really, uh, really great to talk with you and reconnect. Because like you said, we, we usually get together at least once a year at our meetings. And, and we haven't had a chance to do that in a while. So it was wonderful to reconnect and have this conversation. I, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast.
0: I'll see you this summer for certain time.
1: Thank you. Absolutely.
0: Sir. All right. Cheers. All right.